Hello, and welcome to The Face of Bible John, a true crime podcast investigating a series of unsolved murders in the city of Glasgow, Scotland, from 1968 to 1969. I'm your host, Louise McGregor. Please note that this podcast will contain descriptions of physical and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Peter Tobin wasn't the only multiple murderer suspected of being Bible John. In October 2014, a man named Angus Robertson Sinclair was found guilty of the murders of two teenage girls, Christine Eady and Helen Scott, in Edinburgh in 1977. The then 69-year-old Sinclair was sentenced to serve a minimum of 37 years in prison. Sinclair's brother-in-law, Robert Hamilton, was also suspected of involvement with the murders, but he died in 1996 and so could not be tried. However, This wasn't the first time that Sinclair had killed. When he was tried for the murders of Edie and Scott, whose killings became known as the World's End murders, as the World's End, a pub in Edinburgh, was the last place that they were seen alive, he was already serving a life sentence for the murder of 17-year-old Merle Garalcar in Glasgow in 1978. His convictions for all three murders came about because of a cold case review of unsolved Scottish murders, but even when convicted of the murder of Mary Gallagher, he had already been sentenced and imprisoned for a string of rapes and sexual assaults on a number of children aged from 6 to 14. Mary Gallagher wasn't even Sinclair's first murder victim. In 1961, Sinclair, aged just 16, was jailed for 10 years after being found guilty of the culpable homicide and sexual assault of 7-year-old Catherine Greenhill. The judge at that trial described Sinclair as obsessed with sex and, given the minimum opportunity, he will repeat these offences irrespective of what promises he may have given to the contrary. Sinclair was released on parole in 1967 after having served just six years, but the judge was soon proved to be right. In a four-month period in 1977, three women were murdered in or around Glasgow. Hilda Macaulay, Agnes Cooney and Anna Kenny all disappeared after spending the evening in the city. The bodies of all three were found bound, gagged, raped, strangled and dumped in remote areas. Another woman, Frances Barker, was abducted in Glasgow in June 1977 and her body was found dumped in a remote lane in Glenboig in Lanarkshire. She too had been bound, gagged, strangled and raped. A lorry driver, Thomas Ross Young, was convicted of her murder and sentenced to life imprisonment. Young died in 2014 but never stopped claiming that Angus Sinclair was the real killer. There are certainly links which strongly suggest that Sinclair may have been involved in all these four murders. A Scottish police review of unsolved murders in Glasgow in 77 was carried out in 2004 and concluded that it was very likely that, quote, Angus Sinclair and Gordon Hamilton are responsible for all the linked crimes. The circumstances of their deaths and the methods used to bind, restrain and kill them have striking similarities, findings not matched in any other group or indeed in any other individual. The Crown Prosecution Service decided that there was insufficient evidence to bring charges against Sinclair for these other murders. Given that he was unlikely to ever be released from prison, that seemed reasonable. Sinclair's ex-wife Sarah certainly thought that it was likely that he had been killing in Glasgow for a period of 10 years or more, and perhaps inevitably it has been suggested that Angus Sinclair may also be Bible John. Sinclair was certainly living in Glasgow at the time of the Bible John murders, and in some ways, the murders he is believed to have committed are superficially similar to the Bible John killings. For example, Sinclair's victims were raped and strangled, and at least one was strangled with her own stockings, as were at least two of Bible John's victims. However, there are a couple of good reasons not to believe that Angus Sinclair had anything to do with the Bible John killings. Most notably, his appearance. 
Sinclair was very short, at around 5'6". There is simply no way that he could be described as tall, which is how almost all witnesses described Bible John. He also had a distinctive mop of curly dark hair, very different to the neatly cut red hair of Bible John, described by several witnesses. The bodies of Sinclair's known and suspected victims were hidden, usually by being taken to remote areas and dumped. This didn't happen with any of Bible John's victims. All Sinclair's victims were bound and gagged, something that Bible John's victims were not subjected to. It's not possible to completely exclude Angus Sinclair as a suspect in the murder of Patricia Docker, but the descriptions given by witnesses who saw the presumed murder of Helen Puttock and Mama MacDonald with those women do seem to rule him out in those cases. From the beginning of the investigation into these murders, there has been speculation that Bible John might have been a police officer, partly because of his neat appearance and short hair at a time when many young men were going for a more casual look. It was also suggested that his ability to avoid detection was because, as a police officer, he knew precisely how the police investigation was being conducted and could more easily avoid being caught. In 2013, a book was written by an ex-police officer which claimed to have found new evidence proving that Bible John was, indeed, in the force. Dancing with the Devil was written by Paul Harrison, a retired UK police officer who was one of the first British officers to cross-train with the FBI Behavioural Analysis Unit based in Quantico, Virginia. Harrison spent 30 years working as a police officer, and most of that time as a detective in Northamptonshire. Since retiring in 1998, he has written more than 30 non-fiction books, mainly on the topic of crime and detection. Harrison claims that he got the idea that Bible John was a police officer from none other than Joe Beatty. Beatty was the detective in charge of the Bible John investigation, and he continued to work on this case until his retirement in 1976. Harrison claims that Beatty told him that he had come to believe that Bible John was a police officer early in the investigation, but that he was not allowed to pursue this line of inquiry. Harrison told a Scottish newspaper, When the most senior ranking officers in the force found out Beatty was beginning to investigate his own officers, he was ordered to shut down his operation. Beatty was a man of huge integrity. It shattered him to believe that the killer was one of his own. Harrison went on to add more evidence to support the notion that Bible John was a police officer. For example, he claimed that Jeannie Langford saw the man her sister was with produce a police warrant card, and that the manager at the Barrowland Ballroom also recognised the man who argued with him about the cigarette machine as an undercover police officer. Harrison further claims that, on more than one occasion, Jeannie Langford pointed out a man in Marine Police Station as being the person with whom she and Helen had shared a taxi, but Joe Beatty told her that she must be mistaken because the man was a police officer. According to Harrison, Castle Milk John, the man with whom Jeannie Langford spent the evening dancing on Halloween 1969, was also an undercover police officer, though he does not produce convincing evidence to support this contention. Harrison claims that the police officer who was known to be Bible John by senior members of Glasgow City Police was persuaded to take early retirement and move to the Highlands. Harrison further claims that he was able to find records of all police officers who retired soon after the Bible John killings and that he was able to identify the retired officer who he claimed as Bible John, also suggesting that the man might have continued to kill and that unsolved murders in the Highlands should be investigated. For legal reasons, the ex-officer who Harrison claims was Bible John is not named in the book, but Harrison states that he passed all the relevant information to Strathclyde Police. This all sounds interesting, but there are reasons to doubt that the case is quite as watertight as Harrison claims. 
First of all, Jeannie Langford's account of events in the ballroom that night Helen was murdered do mention the man with her sister producing something and showing it to Helen. However, Jeannie was sure that she didn't see what it was, and when she tried to look, the man quickly put it back in his pocket. In an interview with Magnus Linkletter of the Scottish Review in 1996, she said that the card she saw Bible John show to Helen was pink in colour and perhaps some sort of military pass. She certainly never seems to have told anyone, at least publicly, at the time or subsequently, that what he produced was a police warrant card. Likewise, the claim that Jeannie identified Helen's killer as a police officer in the Marine Police Station seems spurious. Jeannie was interviewed many times up to her death in 2010 and never mentioned this to anyone else. Joe Beatty was also interviewed many times on the subject of Bible John after his retirement in 1976. He discussed many theories, including the idea that John McInnes was Bible John, but at no time did he mention to any interview that he thought Bible John was a police officer. The only thing he did say about Bible John to interviewers was that he thought he might be a serviceman or an ex-serviceman. Beatty was generally regarded as a man who was both entirely straightforward and very willing to state his beliefs, and it does seem unlikely that if he had really been ordered to abandon the search for Bible John because the killer was known to be a police officer, that he would not have openly made this information public. The Bible John murder inquiry was one of the largest, most expensive and longest running in Scottish police history, but Paul Harrison would have us believe that this inquiry was undertaken while senior officers knew precisely who Bible John was. That does seem a little hard to believe. Finally, there was the expensive and embarrassing exhumation of John McInnes in 1996. Glasgow City Police was subsumed into Strathclyde Police in 1975, and members of Glasgow City Police transferred to the new force. Again, it seems hard to believe that if senior officers of Glasgow City Police knew Bible John's real identity in 1970, that this would not also be known within Strathclyde Police in 1996. Yet the actions of Strathclyde Police in 1996 strongly suggest that they truly believe that John McInnes was Bible John. Overall, it's not possible to say with certainty that Bible John was not a police officer, but there is no convincing evidence that either Joe Beatty or Jeannie Langford believe this to be so. At least two other suspects have been nominated in the search for Bible John. George Puttock, Helen Puttock's husband, has said on more than one occasion that he believes that serial killer Peter Sutcliffe should be questioned about Helen's murder. Peter William Sutcliffe was convicted in 1981 for the murder of 13 women and the attempted murder of seven others. Sutcliffe, who had become known as the Yorkshire Ripper during the police hunt for him, had committed the killings in the Leeds and Bradford areas of England between 1975 and 1980. Police suspect that Sutcliffe was involved in many more attacks than those he was convicted of, and perhaps more murders. As recently as 2017, police were looking at 15 murders that Sutcliffe might have been involved in. One of these was the unsolved 1977 murder of Anna Kenny in Glasgow. At this time, Sutcliffe was working as a long-distance lorry driver and is known to have made regular trips from the Midlands to the General Motors plant at Newhouse, around 50 miles west of Glasgow. Overall, the evidence suggests much more strongly that Anna Kenny was killed by Angus Sinclair, but is it possible that Peter Sutcliffe was, in fact, Bible John? Sutcliffe was 23 at the time of the murders in 1969, which puts him just outside the age range estimated by witnesses who described the killer. He is known to have bludgeoned his victims and at least one was also strangled, which is at least passingly similar to the killing of Bible John's victims. However, Sutcliffe's job as a lorry driver didn't begin until 1975, and before that there is no record of him spending any time in or around Glasgow. Sutcliffe wasn't tall and he had dark curly hair, not the red hair associated with Bible John. He had a distinctive Midlands accent and generally wore a dark, neatly trimmed beard. Photographs from late 1969 show that he had his beard at this time. 
It's very difficult indeed to see how the descriptions given by witnesses of Bible John could be Peter Sutcliffe. Given these things, it seems very unlikely indeed that Peter Sutcliffe could be Bible John, despite George Puttock's assertions. Professor Ian Stephen is a consultant forensic psychologist who has been involved in criminal profiling for many years. He's also said to be the inspiration behind the character of Dr. Eddie Fitz Fitzgerald, a criminal psychologist played by actor Robbie Coltrane in the popular ITV television series Cracker from 1993 to 1996, Cracker being a colloquial term for a criminal psychologist. Professor Stephen provided advice to the team investigating the Bible John murders before his retirement. Then, in 2000, he was contacted by a Scot living in the US who had read about Stephen's work as a profiler on the internet. The man said that he believed one of his cousins might be Bible John. This man, who was still alive at that time and living in the south of England, was described as the son of a police officer who was raised by a very religious aunt. At the time of the murders, he was married with two children and living just outside of Glasgow. Professor Stephen's contacts said that the man resembled the Bible John portrait and loved dancing, often spending evenings at the ballrooms in Glasgow. However, in the late 1960s, his behaviour seemed to change and he began to spend more time away from his family, sometimes going out for the evening and not returning until the following day. In early 1970, soon after the murder of Helen Puttock, this man sold a house in Glasgow and moved to England with his family. He was never questioned by police in relation to Bible John. Professor Stephen admitted that the evidence was circumstantial but said that, quote, The profile appears to fit that of Bible John. I think the police have got to have a serious look at it. He told several newspapers that he had passed on what he knew to Lothian and Borders police as soon as he received it from the contact in America, though he didn't name the suspect in his newspaper interviews. There was a brief flurry of interest in the press when Professor Stephen announced this apparent new suspect in the Bible John case, but nothing more emerged subsequently. The only comment from Strathclyde Police was, we will examine the correspondence delivered to Lothian and Borders police officers to establish if it represents additional information. The lack of hard information makes it very difficult to say a great deal about this suspect, but the circumstantial nature of the evidence doesn't make it seem very likely that Bible John had finally been identified. The lack of any further announcement from Strathclyde Police suggests that they do not find this new information compelling. To conclude this review of potential suspects, there's one more question we need to ask. Was there really a Bible John at all? Some people think that these three murders were committed by different men and that there was never a single killer. Let's start by considering whether the murders could have been committed by three different killers. The murders attributed to Bible John are the murder of Patricia Docker in February 1968, the murder of Mima MacDonald in August 1969, and the murder of Helen Puttock in October of 1969. After his retirement in 1976, Joe Beatty seemed to have come to believe that these murders could have been committed by three different people, though he wasn't completely consistent in this. Like some other police officers, he came to think that the story of Bible John was no more than an urban myth created by frenzied newspaper reporting. This, BT claimed, was why it proved impossible to find Bible John. Police were looking for a man who had committed all three murders. If a suspect had an alibi for one or two of the murders, then he clearly couldn't be Bible John and was eliminated as a suspect. However, if there really were three different murderers, then this approach could have led to eliminating suspects on a false assumption. Is it possible that there really were three different murderers? Elements of all three murders are very similar. There are minor differences between the first murder, that of Patricia Docker, and the other two. Docker's clothes were removed from the scene and there was no evidence that she had been sexually assaulted, for example. But these could be explained by the murderer developing his technique and becoming more confident between murders. The similarities between these murders do seem to outweigh these minor differences. There are five main points of this similarity. First, 
All three women met their killer at an over-25s night at the Barrowlands Ballroom between February 1968 and October 1969. Second, all three women were accompanied by their killer from the ballroom to an isolated location close to their homes. Third, all three were punched and kicked in the head and face before being strangled with a ligature. Fourth, all three were menstruating at the time of their murders and in each case their sanitary pad was placed close to or on the body. And fifth, all three victims' handbags were removed from the scene of the murder and two were never found. If we add these similarities to the fact that the descriptions of the main suspect provided by witnesses following the murders of Mime MacDonald and Helen Pottock are virtually identical, it does seem overwhelmingly likely that a single killer was responsible for all three murders. There was another reason that caused police to wonder whether this might not have been the work of one man. Bible John seems to have stopped killing after the murder of Helen Pottock, or at least no one has been able to identify any other plausible victims. Sexual serial killers were a relatively new phenomenon in the public consciousness in the late 1960s, and the general view by psychologists at the time was that these people were helplessly impelled to kill by overpowering and uncontrollable urges. Once they started killing, they not only couldn't stop, the period between the killings would inevitably reduce as the killer sought to reproduce the elation of the first murder. Dr Scott Bond, criminologist and author of the book Why We Love Serial Killers, The Curious Appeal of the World's Most Savage Murderers, sums up his view these killers. Serial killing is almost like a drug addiction. It's a compulsion. They have to have it and they do it again and again until they are caught or killed. This view of serial murderers suggests that if a series of killings committed by a sexual serial killer should suddenly stop, that could only be because the killer has died or become seriously ill, or been imprisoned or moved to another part of the country, where the killings will, of course, continue. Based on this view of the psychology of a serial killer in the 1960s, police looking for Bible John began to look for explanations of why the killings appeared to stop after the murder of Helen Pottock. One suggested explanation was that, if sexual serial killers can't stop, then perhaps these killings were not committed by a single sexual serial killer. Instead, perhaps they were the work of separate killers, each succumbing to a sudden but singular murderous impulse after spending the evening at the Barrowland Ballroom. We now know that the notion that serial killers cannot stop is based on fallacious psychology. Horribly, for some of these killers, murder seems to be akin to a hobby, something to be enjoyed when time and circumstances permit, and to be held in abeyance when they don't. These people aren't generally the helpless victims of their own urges that psychologists would have had us believe in the past. They are people who choose to satisfy these urges when they can do so with the least chance of being caught. Take, for example, the American rapist and murderer who became known as the Golden State Killer or East Area Rapist. Between April 1974 and July 1981, this person committed at least 12 murders, more than 50 rapes and hundreds of burglaries in California. Then he seemed to stop killing, raping and committing burglaries for five years until his final murder in April 1986. All these crimes remained unsolved, but police and criminologists searching for the Golden State Killer compiled a profile in the 1980s which confidently noted that this person would continue committing violent crimes until incapacitated by prison, death or other intervention. But there was a gap of over five years between his second last and final murders, and after May 1986, the murders, rapes and burglaries stopped. Completely. For the next 30 years, people speculated about the identity of this killer and what could have happened to prompt the long gaps between the killings and to eventually stop this prolific sexual serial killer and rapist. Had he been sent to prison for some unrelated offence? Had he died? Had he moved elsewhere in the US? Did he have a job that required him to leave the country? Had he changed his MO to the extent that his killings were no longer recognised as belonging to the series? Then, 
In April 2018, police arrested ex-police officer Joseph James D'Angelo in connection with these crimes. 74-year-old D'Angelo had been identified almost by chance when DNA from a family member was found to be a close match for DNA taken from Golden State Killer crime scenes. A test of DNA from D'Angelo proved beyond doubt that he is the Golden State Killer. But why did he stop killing in 1981 for five years and then stop completely after one final murder in 1986? D'Angelo hasn't spoken on this, so all we can do is speculate. During the second-to-last murder committed in 1981, D'Angelo was involved in a violent confrontation with the victim's partner and was injured. Perhaps this frightened him so much that he stopped for five years? Police investigators have also wondered if D'Angelo, who was 35 in 1981, may have come to find the physical effort of committing these crimes too much as he grew older. But perhaps there is another, simpler explanation. In 1981, D'Angelo's wife gave birth to a daughter, the couple's first child. D'Angelo wouldn't be the first man to find that his life was completely changed by a new child, and that time for previously precious hobbies was seriously curtailed. D'Angelo may have stopped killing and raping simply because he no longer had the leisure time required to do these things. It's also worth noting that the final murder in 1986 took place at around the time that D'Angelo's wife was in hospital awaiting the birth of their second child. Perhaps he took advantage of his wife's absence to commit one final murder. By coincidence, and just before D'Angelo was arrested, in March 2018, the FBI Behavioural Analysis Unit published a report, Serial Murder, Multidisciplinary Perspectives for Investigators, which provided information for law enforcement personnel on common misconceptions about serial killers. This noted, amongst other things, that some serial killers do suddenly stop committing their crimes. The report concluded that, quote, Circumstances can change in a serial killer's life, causing them to stop killing before they are caught. These could include increased participation in family activities, sexual substitution, and other diversions. In the light of this new information about the psychology of serial killers, it's clear that the notion that Bible John would not or could not stop killing is mistaken. The murders of Patricia Docker, Mima MacDonald, and Helen Puttock were almost certainly committed by the same man. He stopped killing after the last murder for unknown reasons. He may have become frightened by the massive police and media interest after the third murder and made a conscious decision to stop killing. He may have gotten married, become a father, or undergone some other change in his personal or professional circumstances which reduced his need or ability to stalk and kill women. Overall, an objective analysis of the evidence and the circumstances of these murders strongly suggests that there really was a single killer who committed just three murders in Glasgow in the late 1960s. None of the suspects named to date seem to fit what we know about this murderer, rather than looking at suspects and trying to make them fit the crimes. Perhaps we need to create a profile of Bible John and see what that tells us about him instead. You just listened to episode 4 of The Face of Bible John. Hosted, recorded and produced by Louise McGregor. Co-written by Louise McGregor and Steve McGregor. Based on the book, The Face of Bible John, The Search for a Scottish Serial Killer by Steve McGregor. Thank you for listening.